The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with President Biden announcing the U.S. will have enough vaccines for every adult two months ahead of schedule. Then, full steam ahead for Texas and Mississippi when it comes to their reopening plans, despite some warnings from Washington. Now, turning to Wall Street, some seesaw action on the markets to start the month as the futures look to open up higher today. And then Reddit back at it again, this time pushing one relatively new stock to some all-time highs. And the Senate is going to take up the president's $1.9 billion COVID-19 relief plan. But division among Democrats, it remains. It is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. I hope your day is getting off to a great start wherever in the world you are. Here's how stock futures are shaping up on this Wednesday morning. Take a look. Green across the board. The S&P up, the Dow up, the Nasdaq all up, kind of rebounding from Tuesday's losses. And as I was saying, this is after a lower session on Wall Street yesterday. The Dow giving back a fraction of Monday's massive rally. Now checking treasuries. The yield on the 10-year now. Right at about 1.445 or right at 1.445, those rates actually rising after the president's vaccine supply pledge that we just mentioned just a second ago. All right, let's go worldwide now. Matt Taylor, he's standing by in Singapore. Jumana Bersechi, she's live in our London newsroom. Matt, let's begin with you and that overnight action over in Asia. Hi there, Frank. We actually had a pretty strong day for markets across the Asia-Pacific, even though we inherited that negative lead uh, stateside. But the rising picture when it came to U.S. futures are uh, really buoying sentiment across Asia today, even though we did have some mixed economic data points as well. Uh, North Asia was particularly strong, South Korea, uh, Taiwan. Japan was a bit of a laggard, only up by about half of 1%. Uh, But it really was the China markets that were the standout performers today. Uh, On the mainland, we had the Shanghai Composite gaining, despite the fact that we got a weaker read uh, when it came to services PMI, following hot on the heels of the weaker manufacturing data uh, that we got earlier on this week. The Kaishin Services PMI slowed to its weakest in about 10 months in February, coming in at 51.5. But we usually do see a bit of seasonality around this number because of the Lunar New Year break. Uh, Now, Hong Kong was a standout performer, up by 2.7% in trade today, helped out by a raft of IPO interest in that city. A number of companies eyeing secondary listings in Hong Kong, the likes of uh, Baidu in a listing that could be worth around about uh, $5 billion. Also helping support the Hong Kong market today, take a look at some of these Macau gaming stocks. We saw sharp gains right across this sector uh, because casinos in Macau saying that they are now going to ease some of those COVID restrictions and people visiting casinos uh, won't necessarily need to have a negative COVID uh, response to be able to go inside. So uh, we did see big gains across that sector today. Frank, back to you. 
All right, Matt, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Now turning to the early trade in Europe. Jemana Brissetti, she's standing by in our London newsroom. Good morning, Jemana. Morning, Frank. Well, green is the theme today as well for Europe. Uh, every single uh, index we have trading up in positive territory. All eyes today are actually on the UK index, the FTSE 100. We have trading up at 1.1%. In a few hours' time, we get the UK budget that is going to be delivered by the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak. There have been a lot of previews over the weekend, but so far we've seen a very strong reaction in home builders as the government is set to introduce a mortgage guarantee scheme. So that has benefited that segment of the market. We're also seeing a very nice balance in some of the UK domestic banks as well, as we're expected to hear of more economic support come through, at least for another six months of the year. So we're all watching out for that in a couple of hours' time. The Cacahont in France, we have about eight tenths of a percentage point higher. Here, autos are leading the charge. We had some results out of Stellantis. Very positive. First time they released their earnings under the Stellantis group. They've also talked very positively about potential for operating margins improving at come 2021. So that was taken very well by the auto industry. Zetradax in Germany up about 1%. And here we're watching very closely for talk of a lockdown extension. There is talk that it may be extended to the end of March there. And of course, bear in mind that Germany is one of the countries in the Eurozone that is actually lagging when it comes to the vaccine deployment. But overall, the picture is pretty positive for Europe, Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. Now turning our attention back home. President Biden says the U.S. will have enough COVID-19 vaccines for all American adults by the end of May. That's two months earlier than he had previously stated. This after regulators authorized Johnson & Johnson's one-shot vaccine and Merck agreed to help produce it. Here's J&J CEO Alex Gorski talking with Jim Cramer last night. This is a war, and this is a war against COVID-19, and we've got to marshal all of our resources, and that's why I think it's so great to see partnerships between companies. It's great to see public-private partnerships between Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and the United States government. It's great to see not only the FDA, the CDC, and the NIH, but also the Defense Department involved. And I think the more that we really bring these kind of resources and capabilities and expertise, and most importantly, leadership together, that's when we're really going to make strides against this you know, pandemic. And as of yesterday, more than 51 million Americans have received one or more doses of a vaccine with more than 78 million total doses administered. And back here at home more. Uh, the governors of Texas and Mississippi announcing plans to lift face covering mandates and allow businesses to reopen at full capacity. The decisions come even as the decline in new COVID-19 cases slows and federal officials, they continue to urge states to exercise caution. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says the restrictions on capacity will end effective March 12th. And Europe is trying to deal with a pileup of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. That surplus is built amid some public skepticism in the EU, including after the, the French president made comments earlier this year suggesting the vaccine was quasi-ineffective for people older than 65 without pro providing any evidence. But in a change, the French government has announced people between the ages of 65 and 74 with comorbidities can receive that AstraZeneca vaccine. Germany and Italy are among the European countries that are still restricting older people from getting that particular jab, citing a lack of data about its efficacy within that older age group. Turning our attention back to the U.S. and Washington. The Senate set to take up debate over the president's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill. The president's still working to get Democrats all on the same page. NBC's Tracy Potts, he joins us now with much more. Good morning, Tracy. 
Walking a bit of a tightrope here, Frank. Good morning, everyone. So what's happening today is opening debate on whether to move forward with the American Rescue Plan Act, which is the president's $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. We'll see some debate. And later this afternoon, we're expecting to see a preliminary vote to move forward. Now, that vote could split along party lines, 50-50 Democrats and Republicans requiring Vice President Harris to come in and break the tie. But that's just the beginning of this. The next 20 hours of debate, which could take a couple of days, will be Democrats and Republicans putting in and and taking out uh, parts of this bill. It includes billions of dollars for schools, the $1,400 payments, state and local governments. That's been uh, a sore spot for Republicans who don't think that money is necessary and for vaccine distribution. Uh, All of this before a final vote that could come, uh, at least the White House is hoping it will come before March 14th, because that's when the extra federal unemployment benefits run out. So a bit of a timeline here, that process expected to get underway today, Frank, with the preliminary vote and the debate before it. So Tracy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard almost everybody, it seemed to be a bipartisan call that we needed more stimulus, at least as early or as late as last year. Now, why are so many Democrats apparently hesitant to sign on to the president's bill? So, and you bring up a good point. There are Democrats, moderate Democrats, who have some concerns here. Number one, because some Democrats are concerned that it's too big. $1.9 trillion on top of the trillions of dollars that they've already set aside to deal with the economy. Plus, uh, the targeting of that money, specifically the $1,400 payments. Is it going to everyone, as we saw previously? Is it going just to families uh, that are low and moderate income? And what are those income requirements going to be? That's still up for debate. All right. We have at least 20 hours of that debate to look forward to. Tracy Potts, thank you very much for the latest from Washington. We appreciate it. All right. When we come back, a Wednesday morning market playbook from a top-ranked Barron's advisor. The names that should be on your radar next. Plus, why BioNTech could just be a drop in the ocean. A closer look at Europe's biotech industry and what it could take to scale that up. And later, Reddit strikes again, sending the price of one stock surging on no apparent news at all. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And welcome back. Stocks coming off a broadly weaker session as rising rates, they continue to dampen the investor appetite for growth. But this morning, those fortunes, they may be turning around. Joining us now is Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower. 
Good morning, Greg. Thanks for being here. Frank, good morning. Thanks for having me back. So, Greg, I know you're saying to brace for volatility, and we've certainly seen it this week. Uh, the market's up on Monday, down yesterday, futures up again today. How much do you see that as being tied to bond yields? I think that's certainly one of the prime factors that's not going away anytime soon, Frank, as we continue to see additional stimulus, as your previous guest mentioned, uh, signs of economic recovery. We think these bond yields are going to come up. You also mentioned uh, the whole Robinhood Reddit trade now moving away from stocks into crypto. And, and so much focus right now is on vaccine distribution and stimulus. But we believe by the summer you're going to see tax reform really come to surface. And, and now when individuals and corporations think about higher tax rates, I think this is all a recipe for this level of volatility uh, throughout the year. Yeah, we'll certainly have to continue to watch the VIX, Greg. Um, a lot of talk about bonds and how they might impact equities. A lot of people concerned about that. But there are still a lot of people that have fixed income investments as a big part of their portfolio. Uh, for people that really want to double down or invest more in fixed income, what would you suggest? What's the strategy you should use as we're seeing these bond yields rise? It's a really important question, Frank, because the last decade and the last year especially, it's been a rising tide for all fixed income investments, bond ETFs, bond funds, corporate, taxable, tax-free. I think in this period of rising rates, people are seeing it. As of Friday, the aggregate bond index was negative year to date. So we believe that you should take sort of a core and a satellite approach to your bonds. The majority of the bonds are the safe, fixed portion of your portfolio. You want to ladder your bonds. You want to stagger maturities where your interest principal payments are guaranteed, especially for those in higher tax brackets, Frank. The spread of tax-free to taxable debt has been pretty positive over the last year. We believe that trend continues, too. Just understand what you own. And we're not suggesting that high yield is appropriate. Hey, look what the Fed's doing. The Fed's investing in mortgage-backed securities and corporate debt. And we think that's appropriate. But make sure that core component of your bond portfolio is in a fixed, laddered portfolio. Yeah, great advice there. But, Greg, you're not just a bond guy. You also talk about different funds. Let's talk about two that you're looking at, uh, a life care and health sciences fund, the ETIHX, and also an emerging markets fund, the SPEM. Tell us, with a reopening happening, we're seeing that uh, rotation into materials and industrials, other investors doubling down on that reopening. Why are you looking at healthcare and outside the U.S. when the world's biggest economy looks poised to reopen? For sure. And, and we're not suggesting that those cyclical names won't do well in the next six to nine months. However, I think it's important to understand what worked really well last year may not work as well uh, going forward. And so when you think about disruptive technologies, Think about the largest growing significant of our population, over 65 and above. That population is going to need more healthcare innovation by growing biotechnology companies that are developing gene therapy, cell therapy, genomics. These are trends we see. Look at what we've learned in this vaccine delivery in less than 12 months. Those same efficiencies are being applied now to all these diseases. So there's a there's a burgeoning. Uh, amount of growth that's happening in these emerging healthcare sectors that we think warrants investors' consideration. Greg, some great insight. Appreciate having you. Fellow Philly guy like me, let's hope our eagles rise <laughs> like these bond yields over the next year. Don't think so. Go birds. All right. Still on deck. No profits, no problem for Oscar Health as it heads to the New York Stock Exchange for its first day of public trading. A closer look at what's at stake coming up next. Today's big number, $700 billion. 
That's how much Goldman Sachs estimates SPACs could generate in acquisition activity over the next two years. So far in 2021, SPACs have raised over $64 billion, according to SPAC Insider. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, it's been a banner year for the biotech sector since the S&P 500 hit bottom last March amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The Nasdaq Biotech Index, that's the IBB, it's up 59%. Its European counterpart, the next biotech index, is up more than 30 percent. But your next guest sees even more room for growth, especially if European biotechs, they get some better access to capital. Sofinova Partners is a leading European venture capital firm. It just announced today it's closed a $540 million crossover fund dedicated to late-stage biopharma and medtech investments. Antoine Pepiernik is the managing partner and chairman of Sofinova Partners. Bonjour, Antoine. Bonjour. Hey, it's good to have nice you Nice to meet you. Thank you, for, thank you for having me. So congrats on the news on your fund. Let's talk about that fund. Can you describe the situation in Europe when it comes to biotech and pharma and med device companies? And why is a fund like this needed? And why are we seeing that like, not underperformance of the, the next biotech index, but less of a performance than we're seeing in the U.S.? Well, Europe has grown tremendously in the last 20 years. You know, we started later than the U.S., but we are, I wouldn't say catching up, but we are making good inroads to funding companies. So initially, earlier stage companies were able to be funded. The gap that we saw was also in the later stages. The US has done tremendously all the crossover funds, late stage, pre-IPO funds going to the US and funding those companies. So what we've done is help to bridge that gap. So you're saying there's a gap, but why is there that gap in Europe? I mean, besides capital, what are these companies missing that they're not catching up to the U.S. companies? Well, I think it's a question of time and uh, competence. You know, those companies were uh, grown in the last 20 years. Uh, well, you had already Genentech and, and Biogen and many other great success stories in the U.S. So we just started later and therefore we need to learn from how uh, to build companies. And that's what the, the, the continent is, is, is doing. So, um, as I said, earlier stage companies uh, in the early days of their development uh, manage to, to get the, the, the cash. But when you get towards, you know, the moment where you're going to uh, enter the public markets, this is where European companies were not at the, at the right level. So they need more money to be able to ultimately reach that, uh, that gap and, and get into the U.S. The fund that we have launched among uh, other funds on the platform allows that it prepares companies to be able to ready themselves, basically, uh, to, to be NASDAQ ready uh, and, and raise money where, where the money is. And a lot of it is on NASDAQ. So, Antoine, let's talk about the deals you're looking to make with that $540 million. How would you describe the companies that you're targeting and how many of these deals do you want to make at the end of the day? So uh, those companies are in our jargon later stage, meaning that they're already in the clinic. They are treating patients with their product. They have not yet reached clinical approval, uh, but they've already demonstrated that what they are trying to bring. And it's not just, of course, COVID has 
indicated to everyone how important healthcare was. This is oncology, this is cardiovascular disease, this is orphan disease. So those are the companies that we fund European, in most places, um, later stage with clinical demonstration that their product could save lives. And then we bring the capital to help them, you know, cross over to the U.S. and cross over to the public markets. So one last quick question, Antoine. You cite BioNTech, uh, Pfizer's partner in vaccine uh, development, as an example of a European biotech that succeeded. Why can't these other companies follow that same path? And if your fund is successful and you're able to find more companies like a BioNTech, what's the benefit to the world as far as innovation and what's the benefit to investors? Well, look, the beauty is, you know, the name BioNTech, which tells you, you know, Moderna, you know, BioNTech, two of the greatest companies that have emerged over the last year. That tells you that Europe is on par with, uh, at least in terms of technology, what is possible. So, uh, you know, the, the, if you treat patients, you save lives, ultimately, this is going to be good for investors. This is what we preach every day. And we believe that by backing those companies, whether early stage or later stage, that bring a, pay, a product to patient, ultimately, this translates into financial return. And that's why we were oversubscribed in our fund. People can see that now. Uh, the, their, uh, their, uh, the risk profile of those companies may be the same, but the impression of risk is different in a COVID environment, and hence everyone wants to be in biotech. Antoine, good luck with the fun, and thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. We Thank appreciate you very it. much. Have Thank a good you. day. Bye-bye. All right, turning our attention back to the U.S. and this morning's other top headlines, NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. Breaking news out of Iraq, where 10 rockets struck Ain al-Assad Air Base, which hosts coalition forces. According to Iraqi military and U.S.-led coalition forces, there are no reports of casualties or serious damage. We do have an update on the investigation into that scary crash last week involving Tiger Woods. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department executed a search warrant for the car's black box. A sheriff's deputy said the warrant was due diligence as part of their investigation, but did not consider it part of a criminal investigation. The sheriff's department added there was no probable cause to draw Tiger Woods' blood to determine if he was under the influence at the time of the crash. Nearly 52 million Americans have now gotten at least one dose of the COVID vaccine, including Dolly Parton. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. The country icon got a dose of her own medicine, too. Her shot was the Moderna vaccine. You may remember the research from that she'd helped fund with a $1 million donation. Gotta love her. Frank, back to you. Yeah, definitely putting her money where her shot is, literally. All right, Philip, we appreciate it. All right, coming up ahead, why our next guest says growth is not dead in 2021, and she has three names in one sector you should be watching in the weeks ahead. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, you really should. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. We will be right back. Stay with us. Stocks look to get the March rally back on track after giving up some gains. Futures, they're solidly higher. Johnson & Johnson striking a major deal with Merck to ramp up production of its COVID-19 vaccine as J&J CEO lays out the path forward for more inoculations. And big tech stocks looking to rebound amid easing bond yields. But could it be just a little too late as the market faces a big rotation out of those high-flying names? 
It is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Let's take a look at how your stock futures are looking right through this uh, halfway through this 5 a.m. hour. And the futures green across the board, all up more than half a percent. You see the Dow looking poised to pop as many as 230 points at the open. When it comes to bond, that 10-year yield, it's been watched very closely all week as it's been rising and then took a little bit of a dip yesterday. This morning up about 1.445% if you want to round up a bit. Um, that's definitely being closely watched. And now turning to energy. Crude hovering just around $59 a barrel. WTI coming off its first three-day losing streak since December. Now to some of your other top stories this morning. The Senate is set to take up the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package approved by the House as soon as today. President Biden spoke with the chamber's Democrats yesterday in a bid to unify support for the measure, which needs all 50 Democrats to vote for it. The Senate is expected to pass a different version of this relief bill, sending it back to the House for approval. As Democrats look to get the measure to President Biden before March 14th, when some unemployment aid expires. And shares of Oscar Health are set to begin trading today as the health insurance startup, it goes public. The IPO was priced at $39 above its already raised $36 to $38 price range. The offering gives the insurance startup, which was co-founded by Josh Kushner and backed by Google, a valuation of $7.7 billion. Oscar Health will trade on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker OSCR. And Johnson & Johnson CEO is praising his company's partnership with Merck aimed at boosting production of its COVID-19 vaccine. Both stocks up in the pre-market. Speaking, on Jim Cramer, speaking with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, Alex Gorski discussed getting more treatments out to more Americans. Once we have enough supply, then what can happen, hopefully, is we can lower the age requirements and some of the other guardrails that are currently in place, and understandably so. And then we can get more vaccines. We can go through some the, the stadiums, the high-throughput centers. We can get out to more of the pharmacies, the communities, particularly the underserved communities. We need to make sure that we're reaching out there and doing a better job. All right, now turning to Washington and the development and the push to reform immigration in this country. A group of some of the biggest businesses putting their weight behind the push for a permanent path to citizenship for DACA recipients. Alon Moy joins us now with who's getting behind this endeavor. Good morning, Alon. Well, good morning, Frank. Corporate America is mounting a full court press to create that pathway to U.S. citizenship for young, undocumented immigrants known as the Dreamers. We got an early look at this new push from dozens of the biggest names in business, Uber and Apple, Best Buy and Target, Molson Coors and Marriott, just naming a few there. I spoke to IBM's chief human resources officer, and she told me about 40 Dreamers currently work at the company. One's a technical analyst and others on a leadership team. They pay federal, state, and local taxes. They teach our children in schools. They serve in the military. And then pandemic has even put more spotlight on the role that dreamers play in the U.S. economy. We support dreamers not just because it's the right thing to do, but frankly, because it's good for business. 
Now, today, these companies are flooding Capitol Hill virtually and connecting their workers with lawmakers to try to make their case. They're highlighting data that shows that Dreamers contribute about $350 billion to the economy and about $90 billion in tax revenue. They're trying to create momentum in Congress to finally pass the DREAM Act, which is championed by Democratic Senator Dick Durbin and Republican Lindsey Graham. Frank, the business community believes this is an issue they can lead on, and they're hoping lawmakers will follow. Back to you. So, Alon, what's the likelihood of a bill on the Dreamers actually getting passed? Yeah, so there is obviously bipartisan support here. Something from Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham have not been people who have been on the same page over the past four years. But one of the questions is whether this bill passes as a standalone, something narrowly focused on the Dreamers, or if it becomes part of a broader immigration push. This is the 20th time that Senator Durbin has introduced a version of this bill. And Senator Lindsey Graham also was very realistic in saying that he did not think this could pass on its own. The question for Democrats in particular, as they get beyond COVID relief, is what is the political strategy going to be? How do they structure this package? Democrats and Republicans have been so close before in trying to get this done. A lot of businesses believe this could be the year that it finally happens. Alon, thank you very much. Thanks for the latest out of Washington. All right, back to the markets and a closer look at tech. The sectors come under some pressure from rising bond yields. The iShare Russell 1000 growth ETF seeing a more than 1% loss yesterday. Momentum and FANG ETFs, they also got hit. Joining me now is Joanne Feeney, Advisors Capital Management Partner and Portfolio Manager. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Frank. So, Joanne, the NASDAQ, it's about even with the broader market here in 2021. And we're seeing some evidence that when investors said they were going to rotate into materials and industrials, that they're actually doing it. Both of those sectors up 4% this year. Tech only up about a percent and a half. Do you see this trend continuing? Well, you know, it really depends where you go. In terms of the indices, uh, could very well be the case. Rising rates certainly are a headwind for high multiple stocks. And that's really where uh, investors have to take care but it's not just those sectors you mentioned, Frank, right? It's also energy and financials. And that makes a great deal of sense, right? We're at the beginning of an economic recovery. Uh, and so when we look for selecting individual stocks, which we hold for our clients, you know, what we want to do is still stay exposed to tech, but we want to be a lot more careful about it. We want to avoid those high multiple stocks, which can tend to pull back, as we saw, pretty sharply when rates rise. And rightly so. Those higher rates are higher discount on future earnings. And, and so therefore, those multiples are likely to contract. That's going to be a headwind for some companies. But we still find an awful lot of places we can go in tech to make sure we give exposure to growth for our clients, as well as the broader economic reopening play that we are really enthusiastic about this year. Well, Joanne, we're going to get to some of your picks in tech in a minute. But first, I have to ask you a question I think a lot of people on Wall Street are asking. Why don't earnings and guidance matter anymore? We saw Zoom. They had a great quarter and then the stock dipped. It's up today on the pre-market, important to note. And then we saw other companies like Logitech, really good earnings, really good guidance. And the stock's been down ever since. Well, there's a lot of the growth that's been built into these stocks already. I mean, look at what happened last year. And particularly these companies that were really exposed to the move to stay at home trends. You know, people have been saying it's like five years worth of growth. We're pulled into, you know, the 10 months since COVID started. And, and so I think investors are looking for a bit more. And when we compare the actual earnings to expectations, one has to also adjust 
for what the investor expectations are, the professional investors, as opposed to what the sell-side analysts on Wall Street are saying. And obviously it's the case now, right, that the institutional investors are putting much higher numbers on those earnings expectations than the sell side is doing. And that's actually not uncommon if you look at the data. Typically, sell side analysts are a little bit behind earnings and, and they like to see them beat by the companies when they report. And so it doesn't surprise us that those so-called whisper numbers of the institutional buy side uh, are running above the expectations that are printed uh, in the consensus figures that most people cite when they compare earnings to, to the expectations. So let's get to some of your favorite places to invest. You're actually a big fan of fintech. You gave us a couple names, Stone, Encino, and PayPal. But it's important to note that financials this year, they're up big as these interest rates have risen. How did the, is this, does this interest rate story play out with these fintech companies? Yeah, there's, there's lots of a connection there. Um, one does have to be careful, pick and choose. But these are companies that do have higher multiples. Why do we still like them even though rates are rising? Because we think that their growth potential is actually well ahead of where expectations currently sit. If you look at fintech, you're asking the question, how important is the move to digital currencies? And I don't mean Bitcoin. I mean the digital transactions that are really taking over, particularly since COVID started. You know, Stone Company, for example, is Brazil's version sort of of PayPal. And, and in Brazil, it's just beginning to see the transition from cash payments, in-person payments, to online ordering and to these digital payments. And so we think there's actually a lot of growth ahead and these companies typically have a lot of leverage. So as revenue goes up, earnings go up even more. So we think these companies, Stone, Encino, PayPal, can actually stay ahead of the headwind coming from rising rates. All right, Joanne Feeney, we appreciate the insight. Have a good morning, thanks. All right, coming up, the top stocks on the move, including rocket companies, finding itself at the center of the Reddit investing rebellion. But first, before we had to break some of your other top stories, Microsoft says Chinese hackers have been targeting its email server software using a newly discovered bug. The tech giant says the group has been trying to steal information from a number of American targets, including universities, defense contractors, law firms and infectious disease researchers. Microsoft said it has released security upgrades to fix those vulnerabilities. Real estate title firm Doma is set to go public through a SPAC deal. The company, which is backed in part by Lenner, has agreed to combine with Capital Investment Corp., which has seen wild swings in its shares on that news. And Samsung is reportedly considering more sites in the U.S. for its $17 billion chip plan. According to Reuters, the company is looking at two sites in Arizona and another in New York on top of previously reported candidate Austin, Texas. Meanwhile, Global Foundries has announced it will invest $1.4 billion this year to raise output at three factories here in the U.S., Singapore and Germany, amid the global shortage of chips. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. And welcome back. A quick check on three stocks on the move in the pre-market. We're going to start with Fubo TV, shares of the sports streaming platform. They're lower in the pre-market despite record fourth quarter revenue of $105 million. That was well above forecast. This also marks the first time Fubo has posted quarterly revenue exceeding $100 million. Shares of Nordstrom under pressure despite earnings and sales that came in above estimates, partly thanks to rising demand at its off-price Nordstrom rack business. But the retailer says shipping delays are holding up some holiday merchandise from getting to store shelves and stock rooms on time. Nordstrom says inventory levels should return to normal by the second quarter. 
And shares of rocket companies are surging again in the pre-market after a more than 70 percent gain yesterday and a trading halt on no apparent news. The online lender is currently one of the most shorted stocks on Wall Street, according to FactSet, with nearly 40 percent of available shares being sold short, making it a prime target for day traders on Reddit's infamous Wall Street bets. Company CEO Jay Farner is speaking at a Morgan Stanley conference at 10.15 a.m. Eastern time today. We'll see if he has anything to say on this stock action. All right, turning now to the Dow Transports. They slipped a bit yesterday along with the broader market. The index is down in three of the the past four sessions and is about 1% off of its record high, but it's still up more than 8% for the year. Amid optimism over the reopening of the economy, let's talk more about this now with Catherine Thompson, CEO of the Thompson Research Group. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Frank. So we got to talk about bond yields for a second. Are those impacting the Dow transports at all? Well, here's the first thing to think about. The policy point that's driving not only the overall economy, but also the Dow transport, transports, is just optimism on the economy reopening. You have vaccines are getting rolled out. COVID cases are dropping across the U.S. And you know, let's face it, people are ready just to get back to normal, even if there is a new normal. Got it. Uh, the second driver I'd say, Frank, is to think about is the stimulus plan uh, that Biden has been working on. It's $1 trillion COVID stimulus plan uh, really addresses some of the key priorities for Biden. And that includes accelerating COVID-19 vaccinations, getting kids back to school. And uh, it's quoting another president in the past, the economy, stupid, is getting back to the economy and those are really kind of the top priorities that are also helping to fuel this overall run. So those are two big factors, obviously, and they're going on right now. But there's also some things in the future that, of course, investors are looking at, including the president's infrastructure plan. How do you see that impacting transports going forward? You know, there has been a lot of talk about it. Um, it's a little bit like Bigfoot, a lot of talk, but no one's actually really seen an infrastructure plan that has come to fruition for many years. Uh, that said, there definitely is, seems to be greater support for this. But the reality is, this is most likely going to happen in late 21, early 22. And kind of here's the reason why. Uh, the Congress already passed an extension of the federal highway bill uh, that expires in September 21. So we don't see anything happening before then. But that said, there also was a Band-Aid for some help with state departments of transportation receiving about $10 billion at the end of 2020. That'll help kind of move them along, but at least make up for lost dollars that were um, lost due to COVID. So overall, what we could expect from a new infrastructure plan is not going to be just roads, um, but it's going to, you're going to see a lot of green alternatives. Uh, you're going to see broadband, utilities anything that supports green initiatives. So, Kathleen, let's, let's get to some of the companies that you think are going to benefit from these three different trends, especially infrastructure. One of the ones you mentioned is Vulcan Materials Corp. Kind of explain the play there, whether there's an infrastructure plan or there's just a general reopening. So one thing you need for building pretty much anything, whether it's a wind farm or a road or a, a refueling station are heavy materials and rocks. Vulcan is one of the largest uh, heavy materials producers, aggregate producers in the U.S., along with Martin, Marietta. And, and really, kind of what you, have, you have to have this material. So it's kind of a win-win either way, whether you're focusing on more green initiatives um, or you're focusing on more traditional infrastructure. 
And you also name a few other companies, uh, Jacob Engineering, Tudor Perini, and also a rail car maker, something a lot of people don't talk about. Rail's actually been having uh, a really strong last few quarters. Um, TRN, can you kind of explain the play for those as well? Really, it, let's just, if we focus just on rail cars, you have to move products across the U.S. Um, with the opening of the uh, economy, you're going to have more and more goods and services that flow into the U.S. Um, just was in Charleston recently, and the Port of Charleston, the Port of Savannah, are now the busiest that they've ever been in their history. And part of it is because of the widening of the Panama Canal, but part of it is due to the, um, the reopening of the economy. Once you get those goods to the U.S., it can't just be a road. Um, rails are an important driver of those goods as we get them all across the U.S., so we're the Port of Long Beach or if you're in Savannah, Charleston, rails are an important driver for getting uh, products to across the U.S. All right. Catherine Thompson of Thompson Research Group. We appreciate the insight as always. Have a great day. Great. Thanks. All right. Still on deck. Stocks looking to regain some of that March magic and keep the rally going. Veritas Financial's Gregory Branch lays out where he sees opportunities in the market. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, you really should just go ahead and do it. If you miss a Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or many other podcast apps. And we will be right back. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here's a look at what you need to watch in the day ahead. First, we'll get the latest gauge on the employment picture at 8.15 Eastern with the February ADP employment report. Expectations are for a gain of 225,000 jobs after January's 174,000 rise. Second, the latest read on U.S. manufacturing with the ISM Services Index. The February figure out at 10 Eastern expected to remain unchanged at 58.7. And third, the Federal Reserve's Beige Book out at 2 p.m. Eastern. The read on economic conditions comes as a number of Fed members speak today. All right, turning back to the markets, stocks looking to regain momentum after giving back some of their sharp gains from Monday. And your next guest says he's seeing a number of opportunities in some big names set to ride a further rebound. Gregory Branch is the managing partner at Veritas Financial Group. Greg, thanks for being here. So let's begin. Uh, Futures obviously up today after yesterday's slide. What do you make of it and where are the opportunities in the day ahead? Sure, Frank. So uh, a couple of months ago, um, the opportunity was pretty obvious and easy to recognize. Uh, We had very concentrated market breadth and we had valuations that were uh, just screaming out to us that that this is way too cheap. Uh, But since November, uh, over the last three months, the valuation ground has largely been made up. So the question is, what do we do when the multiples are actually right? And when you look at the bank indexes, for example, they're up 50% since November. Lots of uh, cyclical sectors are up uh, in in similar fashion. And so when the multiple is, is, is just about right, when there's not an easy opportunity in getting back to an average multiple, the challenge is to take out our stock picker's toolkit and look for, on the other end of, of that multiple, where we see earnings to be underestimated. Largely, that will often articulate itself in stories, in themes, in multi-quarter catalysts that we can articulate and, and pin our hats on. And I see a number of those uh, that are developing. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, you reference the job reports. 
well, we still have about 11 million jobs to make up. And while we have had a heightened savings rate, that's largely been concentrated in the upper socioeconomic groups. So I like uh, uh, retailers that are are value plays for the consumer that that, that uh, lend themselves to budget shopping, in particular in that segment, which includes names like Ross, TJ Maxx, Walmart, and Target. I like those that are also attached to another theme, which is e-retailing. And so e-retailing has gained a decade worth of share in the last 12 months. And two retailers in particular, Target and Walmart, you've seen the results that they've just reported. You've seen that they've beat on a number of metrics. They're actually investing in the uh, e-retail more so than their peers, not only just in terms of their capabilities from the website, but also their fulfillment is superior, their delivery is superior, and they're taking those learnings and applying them back into the, uh, into the, the uh, storefronts as well. So, Greg, I mean, I think investors agree with you. Uh, consumer discretionary up 41 percent this year, one of the best performing, the best performing sector in the S&P. Actually, I take that back. Uh, yeah, it is. Sorry about that. Had to take a look at those numbers. Um, Another well-performing sector is financials. I know you're very bullish on a number of big banks as well. Right. And so uh, I'm very discriminating when it comes to that sector. Again, you know, the indexes are up 50 percent since November. And so I'm looking for a safe haven. I'm looking for that earnings underestimation on the part of consensus in the larger platforms. And so uh, last time around, we came out of the great financial crisis. It took about 10 years for rates to peak above 2%. And we've had some promising signs over the last, uh, over the last few days, over the last week, but I'm not sure that that's lasting, uh, particularly as it took us last time around 10 years for rates to peak. Now, on the credit side, uh, we started provisioning at around 4%, 2008, 2009, and that dipped below 1% by 2012. So we, we see credit to recover faster than we might see net interest margin. And so that advantages players who can make money outside of those traditional commercial banking activities. So the players that have trading, that have issuance, that have advisory, that have strong capital markets and wealth management, and that naturally favors the J.P. Morgans, the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanleys of the world. Uh, So I would continue to look to those names, particularly as we've seen they've started to release their provisioning. So we still have yet to see those pesky NCOs, but at the same time, we know that by their releases that they already well capitalized to handle what they see uh, will be their burden in the back half of the year. And I expect that at least to continue to be a tailwind along with that capital markets activity. So, Greg, we're almost running out of time. One more question. I have to ask you about Wall Street bets, the Reddit trading revolution, whatever you want to call it. What do you make about what you saw with rocket companies yesterday? So (laughs) this is something I I I don't really have a lot of empathy for either side of this debate (laughs) Um, on the professional side. Right. um, You know, we're the professionals. And so uh, to the extent that we're going to cry about market manipulation, you know, we have a choice whether or not we're going to be active in those stocks or in those markets or whether or not we're going to withdraw. Uh, and on the retail side, uh, you know, I, I think we have to know, uh, and I look, I count myself as a retail investor to some extent, certainly for most of my life, um, we have to know that there is an information um, disadvantage. Uh, and Greg, so, I've got to cut you off. The show's almost over. Sure. But I, the fact that you laughed about it, I think you're one of the few people on Wall Street. We appreciate your time. Frank, Thanks always a, a pleasure, my friend. All right, that does it for us okay. here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.